Okay, so we're back. This is definitely going on Spotify. World Economic Forum says racism is causing massive rise in heart failure among African Americans. Spike in heart attacks in the African American community since 2021 is caused by racism, according to so-called experts at the World Economic Forum-funded Mayo Clinic. Heart attacks have soared around the world since 2021, with experts creatively blaming the spike on all manner of unlikely causes, including being too happy, waking late on weekends, climate change, not wearing masks, gas stoves, video games, and means, and tiny particles in the air, among countless other bizarre excuses published by the mainstream media in recent years. Experts also tried to blame the rise in the number of professional football players suffering cardiac arrest on referee whistles. However, according to Dr. La Princess Brewer of the Mayo Clinic, soaring hypertension rates in the African-American community are not due to lifestyle decisions made by Black people or the COVID vaccine rollout, but can be attributed to systematic racism. Dr. Brewer is a medical doctor whose research seeks to better elucidate the social detriments of cardiovascular health and how they attribute to racial and ethnic disparities in cardiovascular diseases, according to her Mayo Clinic bio. The Mayo Clinic News Network reported that their so-called experts all concur with Dr. Brewer that racism is the reason that heart failure has skyrocketed in the past three years. According to Brewer, racism in the U.S. causes food insecurity, housing insecurity, redlining, which really limits certain individuals from receiving opportunities and resources to better their health. As usual, they will use some sellout to make black people look like fools and make it look like we blame everything on racism. The establishment is experiencing major problems explaining the massive increase in cardiovascular disease since the mRNA vaccines were unleashed onto the world. Corporation-controlled media outlets, including some conservatives, blame everything from fluctuating weather patterns and daylight savings time to watching too much television and even too much sex. Suddenly, all normal things humans have been doing for eternity magically cause otherwise healthy people to have a heart attack or stroke, something that never happened before Operation Warp Speed. The stakes are high, and those who cause the pandemic know their days are numbered. The more that is revealed, the harder they try to cover up the truth, even if it's their cover-ups are painfully, patently false. As obviously, we know that uh, we know that these rise in heart attacks are not because of racism. Okay, so we're going to be <clears throat> watching a video, a conversation between Doctor Alexander and um, Riza Islam talking about what's the real reason. Here we go. Hi everyone, Dr. Paul Alexander here. And um, I'm speaking to you right now in the United States and I have the pleasure of speaking with Riza today. Look, my background is in uh, clinical epidemiology, evidence-based medicine, uh, research methods, et cetera, and I've had the opportunity to work in different organizations globally. 
namely the World Health Organization and various disease control organizations. I had the opportunity to also work in COVID response for the United States as well as WHO. And um, I've had the pleasure of meeting Reza several times at um, major conferences across the United States dealing with the pandemic response and the vaccines and the mandates. And um, I come from the islands originally. I live in the United States, but I'm originally from the Caribbean. And um, I wanted to help uh, pass some information to the communities and particularly the uh, minority communities that really suffered uh, more burden than the other communities. Um, because when we look at the data, we saw that somehow or the other by the policies that were enacted, particularly the lockdowns and the school closure, we shifted the burden onto the minority communities, where the more affluent communities, we call them, I call them the laptop, cafe latte class, Zoom class, they, are, they didn't suffer the ramifications of the lockdowns that the poor person society, minorities, African-Americans, women in the society, children suffer. So we are constantly hammering away at that to make sure we don't make that mistake again, to try to understand the wrongs. Right now, we have a big battle on our hand, and that's what I want to touch base with Reza today. We'll speak more formally in the future where you guys could ask questions and I could give more formal presentations. But this push by the FDA recently to authorize vaccines in our children, six months to five years old, rubber stamp by the CDC is a, is a major, major problem um, because the science was flawed and um, uh, we don't have the data to authorize this, but then they went ahead. So I wanted to talk a little bit about parents, parents about these vaccines and um, your decision-making because I'm not your clinical doctor, but we have to share information so that you can be informed to make the most optimal decision. So that is kind of my background. I will hand it over to Rizzo now him to tee up himself, and then I'll talk a little bit. Riza, over to you. My brother, I'm, I'm truly honored, one, just to just to be able to converse with you and to be a soldier with you uh, in this fight when it comes to the rights of all human beings, and particularly those of our family here uh, in America, you know, uh, Black people, our Islander brothers and sisters, and of course, those across the diaspora. Um, it has been a long fight, as you know. It's been, it's, it's been, a rough one, but we have had success in different areas. And so I see this as another one of those small areas of success where the researchers and the scientists are coming together, medical professionals and scientists, legal professionals, scientists are finally bridging that gap where they're sharing information to the benefit of the people. Um, you know, primarily that, not for the benefit of corporations and vested interest groups. So um, we will be discussing this further in the future because as you already went into the approval of this shot for children without having the adequate data, without mm -hmm. having the adequate uh, long-term effect data that culminates and really helps people to have a true informed consent of evidence-based medicine really yes. to apply it properly um, according to the Hippocratic Oath, you know, with doing it in a proper manner, it doesn't exist, it's not there. And so now it really begs the question, what is the motive? What are they doing this for? Uh, and is it dangerous? Is it truly dangerous? You know, and, and from your background, having the degrees, having the experience, et cetera, you can go into that. And this is something that a lot of people need to know, especially the parents, because 
now they're targeting the children more than the adults. They, they saw what we did uh, when we rose up heavily all across the country and the world. <laughs> they said, okay, the adults, you know, we can't get them as, as much as we can get the children now. So now they're trying to swing it on them. And uh, we have to really be armed ASAP right now with the information yes. and the solutions to stand up so that we can protect the rights of the children. Yes, yes. And I like that introduction. And uh, look, let's get straight to the point. The point is that, and I know you represent a lot of uh, very important communities across the United States. You have a huge voice. So that's why I wanted to talk to people like yourself. Um, let's put it this way. <clears throat> when we look at all of the lockdowns, the school closures, um, the shelter-in-place policies, the mask mandates, everything, everything that was done, when we look at all of the science today globally, including across the United States, state by state, we can find no evidence, not one instance, where any of the lockdowns, where any of the school closures worked. In fact, all of the science shows us that the lockdowns and the school closures, these COVID policies uh, caused the increase in infections and even harms and deaths. So it was a catastrophic failure across the board. There is no evidence that any of this was beneficial. And the problem with it is that when we drilled down into the data, we could see that the burden was shifted to the African-American community, the front-facing community, the poorer persons in society, people who had to front-face and go out there and work. You know, the richer class, the, the senior managers, the middle managers, they were able to work out in the basement and do Zoom and these things. And I call it the cafe latte class. They weren't harmed, you know. When you talk to some of them, they're actually upset today that societies are trying to open because they have gotten comfortable into their into the new cadence in life where they work out of their basement or their home. They can walk their dog often now. They can catch up on some reading right. on vacations. And they can do things. They can run out of the grocery. Whilst the foreign community have to go out there and face... When we looked at the infection data and the death data, we could actually see that it was the people who are working the, the frontline jobs, interacting with society, which were the poor people, which were generally females, the women in society, um, African-Americans in America, well, in the United States, and in all countries, in Canada, UK, et cetera, we found that they incurred much more infection and even severe outcomes than death. Why? Because they didn't have that flexibility and privilege to work at home like the more affluent people. So, so COVID demonstrated early to us that it was a disease of disparity, mm -hmm. absolutely. And what we saw out of the box, maybe about two to three weeks, so maybe about the first week of April, second week of April 2020, was that COVID was amenable to risk stratification. And what that meant to us was that your baseline risk uh, predicted the severity of outcome or even death. What that showed us was a very steep age risk stratified um, modeling that the younger you are, closer to infancy, all the way up to about age 70, 75, um, your risk of survival is almost 100% if you bumped up into COVID. In other words, we saw that the median age is 82, severe outcome, with about two to three underlying medical conditions. And we saw very early on that young children, infants, young children, uh, teenagers, et cetera, the risk of death was statistical zero. In other words, 
um, you would have no problem with COVID. We looked at the data, Dr. Martin McCario to Johns Hopkins, uh, his team, we've all examined the data and it's shown us that across this pandemic from day one to now, and we're not even going to talk about, well, there's new evidence showing that this really began kind of around the mid of 2019, not January, 2020. I mean, we have all of these things to unpack in time, but let's just talk about right now, the data shows us that not one healthy child not one healthy child in the United States of America died due to COVID who was infected. In other words, when the CDC puts forward to us that, oh, well, this child died, we will always show and we could always show that that, that child was gravely ill. That child had underlying conditions that absent of COVID would have taken their life. Sad, death of a child is a catastrophic situation. But the fact of the matter is your healthy children, normal children are not at risk of severe outcome, never was. And now with this Omicron BA5 variant, it's very mild, non-problematic for children. So I, I told Rizzo that <clears throat> I wanted to get straight to the vaccine for this, because this is important for parents, because right now, this is the issue. This is the hill that you're on, that you're gonna have to make some decisions quick. The FDA, recently authorized vaccinating kids in America from six months old to five years. And right after that, Riza, you are, you are aware of that um, study and, and step? Yes. Good. Right after that, the CDC rubber stamp. But here's the problem. The problem is that when they ran their trials, they could not use the proper outcomes, which is important to you in your decision-making like death, hospitalization, ICU, even infection. Why? I mean, I, I, I'm talking to you, the, pub, the, the public, in a way, in, in as lay as I can get, so you can understand. I know I know those people who try to confuse people with fancy language. If you have two groups in a study, two groups, the intervention group, which is the group that gets the drug, in this case, the vaccine or medical device, you must have a comparative group. We call that the control group. We have to compare the intervention to the control. So right. the control group is like the baseline group. Death and hospitalization and stuff is almost zero in the control group for children. In other words, you can find less than zero of something. So that was a, that's a problem. That even tells you out of the gate that you really don't need to do this research. Because children in the baseline, the control group, in the general population prevalence is zero. Mm. So you can't find less than that. So that was their problem. So what did they do? What they did was they said, well, you know what? We need to push this vaccine up. Look, I'm a scientist, et cetera, and uh, I'm speaking out there in the public. Rizzo knows me. I know Rizzo. We're out there together. But I like, I'm blunt. They were trying to push this vaccine on parents, so they needed something to publish and to take to the FDA. But I'm arguing that what they did, what Pfizer and Moderna did was fraudulent. The data was not proper data. And they deceived, the, they deceived FDA, but FDA knows. They came up with a, with a, with a, um, a method called immunobridging. And let me explain briefly what immunobridging is. Immunobridging is that because they couldn't find the ability to study 
the difference in death or hospitalization rates or infection rates between the vaccine group and the control group. They coined this method called immunobridging. And they decide, just like that, they decided that if in the children, we will use the marker antibody level. And we know that antibody levels is not a proxy or a good indicator of immune response. So right. we know that that was garbage to begin with. But here's what they even went a step further with that garbage. They said that if children at six months old, et cetera, uh, after we vaccinate them in the study, show a similar level of antibody rise, mm -hmm. a level that is similar in adults or older children, 20 years old, in another study that they did, then once those rises were similar, then we're going to say that the vaccine should be approved for children in six-month-olds. And that's exactly what they did. It makes no sense to people like me from a methodological point of view, from a, from a scientific point of view. And they know that this cannot pass scientific scrutiny. This was wrong. This was almost fraudulent science. But the CDC rubber stamped it. In other words, we have no data today, none, that supports the use of these COVID injections in children because not only was the methods flawed, the sample size was exceedingly too small, the number of events were too small. If you look at the confidence intervals, and, and I, I don't want to get too deep into all of this the statistics part, but when you generate an estimated effect in a research study, uh, the purest or the best studies would also generate confidence intervals around that estimate, a 95% confidence interval. And um, when you look at those confidence intervals in this study, Pfizer and Moderna, they stretch from California on one side of America all the way to China on the other side of the world. They're so wide, they're so nonsensical, you can't even interpret the result. Wow. So it's, it's just like garbage. Wow. <laughs> right? Wow. So, so this is what they did. And uh, the bottom line here is this, that um, they were entered and approved. And I'm trying to tell parents now in the community this. Your child, your child, any kind of American child, let's focus African-American, minority, any, any, but anyone, brings statistical zero risk to the table. And that is the data from January of 2020 to today. Children at near zero risk, healthy children of severe outcome from COVID infection, period. There's nobody. I will challenge Fauci, Walensky, Francis Collins, anyone. Debate me, debate Peter McCullough, debate Malone, debate any of us. They cannot produce that data to us. So we know that children bring zero risk to the table. We know that we have evidence that this vaccine fails. Right now is a complete failure in the Omicron variant. That means that you, the listener right now, should know that everybody you know is getting infected after vaccine. It doesn't work. It's done. So they are trying to tell you as a parent that your one-year-old child or your two-year-old child with a zero risk of severe outcome needs a vaccine that you are seeing and hearing, you're hearing your friends telling you and your family, hey, look, I got the vaccine and I, I get back infected. And look, Biden infected 12 times and Fauci, 
right? And look, I, I even get harms and severe adverse effects. I heard people die. I know people that die. We all now know somebody who died mm -hmm. from these vaccines. So they want you to take a vaccine for your zero risk child that confers no benefit and is harmful. Wow. I am trying to say, we're going to talk more with RISA. We're going to have formal discussions, but I will answer every question. I'm trying to tell parents today, this is the hill that you'll be prepared to defend. Mm -hmm. Your low-risk child will get severely harmed by these vaccines. These vaccines, these COVID vaccines bring nothing for them. Not only that, we know that children's innate immune system, which is their first line of defense, mm -hmm. um, it, it is developing in a particular window of opportunity when they're infants. After the maternal, the, the antibodies weigh in four to six months, they need to kickstart and get their innate immune system trained for lifelong. Well, it is the innate antibodies that is part of that innate system that does that training. It trains the large innate immune system. What we are seeing is that the antibodies from these vaccines, not only do they don't work, we, we established that everybody's getting infected. But what is happening is the, the innate, the vaccinal antibodies, if you injected a child, would outcompete or subvert their functional innate antibodies and bind to the target antigen, spike. Their innate antibodies then cannot do its job. Your child will be at risk for not only the present infection is confronted with, it will not be able to learn future viruses, other viruses, glycosylated viruses that are similar to the coronavirus, but very important, this is what I wanted parents to know today. In that window of opportunity training for children, where the innate antibodies must be allowed to function and not be subverted by these vaccinal antibodies from the COVID vaccine, it helps your child's innate immune system for the rest of their life, once trained properly, recognize self from non-self. Your right. child's innate immune system must be able to recognize self-components from non-self-components. Mm -hmm. That is a critical window of opportunity. And these COVID injections subverts that particular training. That means that you'll be setting your child up on a pathway for autoimmune disease. So there are a host of things you need to understand. The public health officials are pushing you to take this vaccine. If your child is a healthy child, your risk of the risk of your child having severe outcome from COVID is almost zero. I mean, you have to have this discussion with yourself, with your with your family, your wife, or your husband, and your doctor. But you have to have that discussion. Don't just listen to what CNN or Fox or any of these people are telling you, or Fauci and these people, or, or Pfizer. Please stop. You need to understand. Right. Take a step back. Okay? Mm -hmm. And we're gonna have much more discussion. So Riza. I know we said we're going to do a tight window today, but anything you wanted to add? Oh, man, brother, I, I just want to thank you, first of all, for speaking the truth as a scientist, as one who has the degrees, as one who has worked in this uh, field for many years in multiple areas across the planet, because as of now, you know, that's what they were doing is they were using the people who are the scientists with degrees to quite literally change 
science yeah. <laughs> and use junk science that goes against everything natural, including natural immunity, how they were trying to say, well, yeah. these shots work better than natural immunity and they are superior to the natural immune system. I was like, okay, that's 10th grade biology. I'm sorry, but yes. that doesn't make sense. You know, I mean, that kind of, that's crazy. And you're right. Yeah, and they made, they really have people believing them, you know, yes. so, so for you to be someone who has those qualifications and more to, to speak the truth, you know, I just appreciate you as a brother uh, on behalf of the people and really standing up for God's people, being yes. on the side of God, because we know this is a spiritual war bigger than anything else. So one thing I'll, I'll add is this is why we have to change our diet specifically in our community, yes. because this, that's the primary you know reason as to why we're having any of these issues to begin with, period, is because yes. we are helping our immune system to become damaged by way of how we improperly feed our body, how, how we have too much. All right. Get on to that. Now let's get into even more deeper stuff. <clears throat> okay. This is basically <clears throat> about African Americans being first in line, okay, for these uh for the agenda they got for us. Let's uh Get into that. You know, the more you dig into this stuff, the more upsetting it gets. So I gave this talk only once before, about two weeks ago, and I approached the black community. I'd like to just talk straight and openly. I was well aware as a physician that African-Americans and other black and brown minority persons had a natural antipathy towards vaccines. And I wanted to give them the science behind it. So I ended up digging deeply into that issue. So let me share some things that I knew some of these things, but I did not know most of these things prior to this year. Many of you in the room, I'm sure, have heard of the Tuskegee experiments. We all know that, okay? But there's a lot more than that. I was, I was curious as to why the antipathy was so strong. So let me give you some examples of where vaccines have gone wrong for black and brown people. So with the rubella vaccine, race and ethnicity were shown to affect the antibody responses like at a higher level than compared to Europeans. With the measles virus, I think many people in this room, um, they also had that same experience. With pertussis, it was also the same. With the inwheat, they also had the same problem with the measles. Haemophilus influenza also had the same difference in their response. And the hepatitis vaccine also had a similar different response amongst races, specifically white boys were 64% less likely to have autism diagnosis relative to non-white boys when they gave the hepatitis vaccine to babies. Now, literally as a physician, I did not know this, right? Here we have examples well-documented in the scientific literature of six different vaccines that were affecting people differently based on their races. Now, why is this important? Because when you read the language that the government is putting out about how to prioritize the vaccine, the experimental biological agent, they are making an overt and covert attempt 
to push this heavily on blacks and browns. I'm going to give you some specific language because it is just shocking. Just bear with me one moment. who falls from COVID-19. It's nursing home patients, it's people with 2.6 comorbidities per person is the average. People over 75 are living in nursing homes. This is who should get the vaccine first if you believe the vaccine is safe and effective. That's it. And I feel very offended on this because, you know, the people who they're gonna target first, honestly, are my friends, which are all the black nurses that I work with in the ERs because I've spent my whole career in inner city. And so they're all being told, you got to line up, you got to take this. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you're about 45 years old, 50 years old. You know, you're in good health. You're working every day. Why should you be prioritized? There's no actual increased risk to the healthcare worker. There, it, the risk, we know who it is. It's the 80-year-old woman who's living in a nursing home or man who's living in a nursing home who's got bad heart, bad lungs, you know, diabetes, especially obesity is a big deal. Those people are at high risk, okay? It's not your 45-year-old nurse. It's not your 35-year-old cop, Okay. And, and any other discussion I find very disingenuous. Now, in case you didn't you know, believe that, you, you went further into these documents and you find the language that like, they talk about targeting the black community 
by understanding their, their quote-unquote vaccine hesitancy based on these prior issues with prior vaccines in Tuskegee. But they have like actual policies. They say this is from hhs.gov, strategy for distributing COVID-19 vaccine. They say we have to focus on targeting key populations and communities to ensure maximum vaccine acceptance. And they talk about, and they quote the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation about how to manipulate the media and silence opposition to it. And then they put very, you know, famous, handsome, you know, celebrities saying that they're gonna take the vaccine, Obama being one of them. And it's very clear, it's just very, very clear what's going on. So I say to you as a scientist, do you want to be first? If you want to be first to volunteer yourself for track and trace system, enrolling yourself into a medical trial, I don't think I explained that clearly. Let me back up for one second. You, if you take the vaccine, you're being enrolled in a pharmacovigilance tracking system. It means you've enrolled yourself in a medical trial, which is fine if you are to be a good-hearted individual, very altruistic, and you want to enroll yourself into a medical trial, fantastic. I can tell you as a physician, very, very few people do that, okay? But if you want to do that, that's fine. But you, most people are not aware that that's what they're doing. This pharmacovigilance tracking system tracks you for two years. It's set up by the Department of Defense. It was handed off to Oracle and Google to, to put the data together. How is it that people want to sign up for this system on an experimental, and how is giving it to black people fair racial justice? I don't know. Maybe someone smarter than me can figure that out. Um, I also, it also put in, once I started reading these documents about, about what I thought was just pure racism in these documents, it kind of made it clearer to me why we were hearing so much about racial issues with COVID-19. In my experience as an ER doctor, I didn't see any real racial issues at all. We saw white people, Latino people, um, black people, every, you know, people got it. Basically, if you were old and frail and you got it, you know, you were sick but I never really saw a racial difference. And that's not true. There are other things, obviously, that have racial differences. So I remember thinking, this is weird. You know, AOC would get forward and say, oh, well, you know, it's really bad against black people. This is terrible and it's discrimination and all that. Here's what I want to say to that. It's true that in, there are many areas where black people were disproportionately affected by COVID-19. So an example I like to use was in New Orleans, Louisiana, where blacks made up 31% of the population, but they made up 70% of the people admitted to the hospital with COVID-19. So on the left, they were saying this was because of racism. But when you look at the data, there does not yet appear, and I think never will appear, to be an independent race, to be an independent risk factor, right? We know what makes people really sick. It's diabetes and obesity primarily, and then you know other serious medical problems. Now, also living in a very crowded area, working in a very crowded area. The reason I don't think this is ever going to be shown to be a race problem, race problem, is things that you just know by common sense. One is it's been all over the world, all races. Okay, we can just start with that. Second is in areas of the world where people are have those high individual risk factors like diabetes or obesity and other illnesses and the group risk factors such as living and working in tight quarters, it's not black people that get it at a worse rate, it's those people in those situations. So in Louisiana, it was black people, but in the UK, it was Middle Eastern and East Asian. In other words, the people living in those crowded, dense areas that had diabetes, those are the people, it didn't matter what the race was, it just mattered if you, if you had those individual or group risk factors. And of course, 
The irony of saying that this is really a racial problem is looking at the continent of Africa. For those of you who don't know it, the one continent that's been spared is Africa, except South Africa, but the rest of Africa is, you know, the death rates, you know, in Africa are extraordinarily low. For those of you who don't know this or haven't followed me yet on Twitter at America's Frontline Doctors, there's a lot of videos. One of my favorite is a talk we gave on Sub-Saharan Africa because people just don't know this. So in America, the death rates are in the like 800 range per million. In India, the death rates are around, if, I might be slightly off on the numbers, around 70 per million, right? So it's 10% because they have a very liberal hydroxychloroquine policy. In Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, the poorest places in the world, no social distancing, no masks, no ICUs, they have a death rate of 1% of the Western nations. 1%, 1%, right? Now, I believe it's due to widely available hydroxychloroquine. I don't think you can explain it for any other reason. But even if there's another reason, you certainly can't say that this affects black people worse. <laughs> so I, I would just not be signing up for this immediately. I would, you know, if I was a mom and I, or I, you know, again, I think of my friends, the nurses, if I was a nurse and I was a mom, I'd be like, you know what, I'll, I'll just wait. Let me, let me just wait a little bit. Let's just see. So we doctors, you know, when we got together about this, we, we decided to um, really come out and say what we thought our opinion was. And a lot of people have told us not to do that, but we felt it was really important. You have 